In 2018, we are in the, uh, our theme is growing in grace. So we're talking about grace as a theological perspective, but also as a daily practice, something that we do and engage in. And part of this, uh, theme is asking you all to participate in a challenge that we do every month. So last week's a challenge was to speak grace fully and to wear your bracelet and every time you caught yourself being negative or critical or complaining to switch your bracelet just as sort of a self-awareness tool to figure out how often, how much you really truly uh, don't live in grace but just complain and condemn and criticize and so forth. Uh, it was a very interesting month. Got a lot of interesting texts and emails and and uh, not, not complaining at all, <laughs> but uh, it was hopefully an exercise that will help you as we continue throughout the year to remember that God's people are to be vessels of grace and that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's hard for you to, to, to convince people uh, that you really do need grace and that you want grace for others when it doesn't overflow out of your own heart. So I hope that that last month's challenge will not be just something you left in the month of May, but that you'll endeavor to practice Ephesians 4.29 on a daily basis, to let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that is as helpful for building others up. Now, you say, well, it's not May, so there must be a new challenge, and you would be so astute, you good audience, you... As we step into June, our June challenge is simply to offer, uh, uh, to give forgiveness. I think you have to click it one more time. Uh, the best time to show Christ is when you've been wronged unfairly. When someone has wronged you, when you've got the short end of the stick, when what you deserve you didn't receive... And we talked about this at family camp, and if you were there, a uh, great talk that Jeff did about giving forgiveness and the importance of that, not just for your benefit, uh, which is a far, far second place, but it's about glorifying God. And so if there's someone in your life who needs forgiveness, just give it to them. So well, they, they didn't come to me. They didn't ask. They didn't. Uh, they didn't. They didn't make everything right. They didn't come crawling on their hands and knees, as I'm hoping they'll do. And so I'm just going to stay locked in this cage of anger and bitterness, and hold the key the whole time. You don't have to live that way. In June, I want you to to, to be a vessel of forgiveness, of giving to others. Just a very small measure of that which God gave you through Jesus Christ. And he didn't hold back. Romans 5.8, in fact, says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Long before you and I ever even thought about sinning, Christ died for you. When you sinned, Christ died for that. As you are in sin. I want to encourage you to repent if you need to. But but may we take that attitude that God had toward us in Christ Jesus. And extend the forgiveness that someone else may need. You may be waiting for that magical moment. You may be waiting for a sign from God. Well let this slide be your sign. Do it. 
Don't hold on to that stuff. How, do you, how can you live like that? Dragging around all these uh, weights and, and chains and all the ways in which people have wronged you and all the way life has been unfair. And that's a terrible thing. And I maybe can sympathize or empathize. But I do know you can't keep holding on to it. God didn't hold on to it. He didn't want you to either. So go ahead. In your mind, make a list of all the people who are on your list. Just write those names down mentally or somewhere and just begin to check. I'm not even saying you have to go to them. Just just say, Lord, I'm going to forgive it and I'm not going to reopen the case. I'm going to let that go because of what you let go of for me. Our verse on this is Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. The scripture tells us that we ought to be kind to each other, compassionate. And then in verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love because the word give is in the word forgiveness, and it reminds us that forgiveness is forgiving. There's a purpose in God giving us forgiveness, and that is that we might extend it to others. So if you need to extend that to someone, here's your month to do that. Here's your opportunity to put that. There's no bracelet. There's no something to pick up in the door on the way out. I'm just challenging you to forgive and let go just as God forgive and let go of all you have done against him. Now, since you're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, uh, turn back just a couple of chapters to Ephesians chapter 2, where we are in this series we're calling Transforming Grace. And while you do, I want to talk about boxes. So... Yesterday, I spent a good part of yesterday so beautiful. The weather was perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too crazy windy or anything like that. And so I was in my garage, which is, of course, what you do on a beautiful day. Um, but when you're type A, when things are not arranged and organized and put just so, you can't leave it undone. So my garage, had the, the, the part of it had just been, there were been things since we moved there six months, eight months ago, I guess. And uh, it had just been, you know, we just put it on a shelf, just put it on a shelf, just put it on a shelf, we'll get to it. Well, okay, yesterday was the day for, was the day for me to get to it. And so I began to pull out the boxes that were on the shelf and the tubs and all of the, the things that had just sort of been thrown on the shelf. And uh, I started thinking about what a box is. A box is really organized space. I mean, it was designed, there's a, of course, depending on the size of the box, but there's always a finite limit to the amount of space in there. And some of us live life, uh, particularly if you're a type A, we have a lot of boxes. We've got, um, we've got the finances box, you know. And, oh, that's a mess. I don't open that. And we've got the, uh, the family box. You know, we need, to, we need to make sure we're good parents and, and make sure that we're being good children for our parents and honoring them and obeying them and all of that. Parents told me to say that. 
uh, we've got the uh, we've got the work box. We've got all the things that have to be done to be successful, to climb the ladder, to to to, to gain the the promotions and the the caveats and the awards and, and the recognition. Of course, the respect and all that. That's very important. We've got the uh, we've got the you know parenting track. We need the parenting box that we need to make sure we're doing all the right things. We only have so much time. And, and a lot of us, if we're really honest, we also have a God box. And it's usually opened about this time of the week. And we have, you know, we have our hour or two. If, if we're really, if we're really upstanding, maybe three hours a week. This is for God. And that's the time where we pray, where we sing, where we worship. That's the time for Him. But, but see, the thing is, is that God has this crazy idea <laughs> that he wasn't made to go in a box. That he was a limitless God, not made to be limited by all the boxes we put him in. Now, what we're talking about in Ephesians, we have all of these reasons that God wouldn't want us, that God wouldn't desire us, that God could be against us, that God should be against us. And we've been going through that Sort of verse at a time. If you're in Ephesians, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul there writes this great doctrinal truth about grace through faith. And he starts off in the first two lessons that we've done talking about things that are pretty ungraceful. And you... You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And these first couple of lessons have been hard. I mean, you've got to get down into the nitty-gritty of sin and death and the consequences of sin and the, the eternal struggle that God has. But today, today, we get into the really awesome stuff. The moment when God breaks out of the box... And shows his overflowing, unlimited love and grace presented to us through Jesus Christ. And, and we know how we're going to get to something awesome because there are two words that are some of the most transformative words within Scripture. And you know what they are because I've titled the lesson that. They are simply the two words, but God. They are two of the most transformative words that I know. When you try to just think about times in Scripture, when this simple conjunctive phrase is used, you see, oh, these things are looking really bad. Oh, this is a bad situation for this person or character. And then we get this phrase, but God, and things begin to change. Things begin to turn around. Things are different after the phrase than they were before the phrase. And the exact same thing is happening in Ephesians chapter 2. 
But, but this is not just Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is, of course, a Jew, a Pharisee. He knows the scriptures very well. So let's turn to the scriptures that he would have known. Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 is uh, one example of this transformative moment. Genesis chapter 7 tells us that there was a great flood that came on the earth. And the reason that flood came was because of Genesis chapter 6, because the world was really bad. So bad that it actually broke the heart of God. Now, I know, I realize, oh, the world today is bad. And maybe we do break the heart continually. But this preceded the worldwide flood, chapter 7. And then, in the midst of the flood, chapter 8, verse 1, but God... Remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock stock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. You see, imagine Noah and his wife, Mrs. Noah, and their sons and daughters-in-law who were in this ark for well over a year, enduring the consequences of other people's sin. They endure being in this ark with smelly animals and, and not knowing when they would get home and watching the world die by drowning. Oh, I know you put that scene on your nursery, but I really think that it was a much more terrible God moment that probably struck terror and fear into their hearts, even though they were God-fearing people. And now here they were in the ark Sharing in the consequences of this worldwide flood, wondering, is this it? Is this life as we know it now? Is it it a never-ending cruise line with a lot of animals? Uh, The writer of Genesis says, but God, he remembered Noah. He didn't forget. It's the point where the holy reset begins. Turn to Genesis chapter 31. Verse 42, a little lesser known story as the story of Jacob. And uh, he goes to his uncle Laban, who I can't go through the whole story in detail, but he basically Laban is a swindler, a cheat. And, and he cheats Jacob out of his what he's rightfully earned. And Jacob has to sort of deal with this and he doesn't want to make his uncle mad, but he's he's frustrated. And he finally... Verse 42 of Genesis 31. If the God of of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. In the midst of this story... Jacob's figuring out that, yeah, Laban had cheated him. Yeah, Laban had wronged him. But God was still going to work it out. God was going to handle his enemies. Maybe you've suffered the consequences of other people's sin, like Noah. Maybe you have just been swindled and cheated. Maybe you've been wronged, just out and out wronged, taken advantage of, like Jacob. We're reminded... That God's going to take care of that. And probably probably the best known of, of these three examples is the last chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50, the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph's uh, story is a fascinating story 
about a family that is wrought with dysfunction. And this family, these Joseph and his brothers, uh, they didn't have a very good relationship. And as they come to Joseph at the end of his story, when things are much better for Joseph than when they last left him, there's this sort of back and forth. Oh, how's he going to treat us now? Is he going to give us justice? Is he going to do exactly as we did to him? Is he going to make us slaves or maybe even kill us? What's he going to do to us now that he's second in charge among the world powers? And amongst this back and forth, we get verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, speaking to his brothers. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And there's so many. Those are not the only. Those are just three examples of when people in a character in a story was either uh, sharing the consequences of someone else's sin or they had been wrong or things were not going as they anticipated they would go when they followed the God of heaven and earth. And I close my Bible, not because that's the limit of the examples, but to point out that among all of us, there are a number of examples of people who were serving Christ, who were following the Lord and loving him to the very best of their ability, not being perfect, but with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they still had to take a trip to John D. Anderson. They still made a trip to Mayo Clinic. They still went up to Children's Mercy to get a new heart. They still lost all their hair as they battled with chemo. To battle cancer. This story of but God does not stop here. It continues to remind us of what God did through their lives so that we not be surprised at what he does in our lives. May we not forget that but God continues today. It's Tim Garut, whether it's Christy Levering. Whether it's Joshua Oakley, Virginia Bogart. I mean, I, there's, there's, there's no time to list all the people who have been through the moments where like, it doesn't look good. Things are not as we thought them to be. I mean, God, where are you? If we're following you, if we love you, where are you? And then God has this holy moment where we hear those two transformative words. And these two words are a key part of the series as we think about Ephesians 2, 45. So let's go there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 now. The actual text of today's lesson is that goes this way. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, with which, uh, be, excuse me, because of the great love with which he loved us, even... When we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. You see that moment there? But God. And then he says, here's what happened. Yes, you were going the wrong way. Yes, you were living in sin. Yes, you were following the wrong spirit. But God had something better in mind. May we not forget. In Christ, 
God showed to us his mercy without measure and his love without limits. May we not try to then fit God's work in a box. The problem is that we were dead. Verse 5, even when we were dead. I said, I thought you said he gave us rich in mercy and great love and all that. Yes, but he did that while we were still dead in sin. Here's the, here's the, what the picture he's drawing for us. Dead people have no ability of themselves to remedy themselves. You see, I, the, the, the law couldn't get us to the holiness of God. It could say, here's the holiness of God. I need to pick on my daughter for a second. Grace, come here. Grace, you're pretty athletic. You're a good jumper, right? You do the acrobats. Okay, acrobatics, gymnastics, I don't know what it is. Okay, what I want you to do is jump with all your might and touch my Bible. Okay? Go for it. Hold on a second. This is a little embarrassing. Can you try a little harder? Okay, just just give it your all, okay? Use your father's athletic genes. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Sit down. What my seven-year-old showed you is what humans have been struggling with since this book was written and even beforehand. Here's the holy standard of God, and here's us trying to get to it again and again and again. And we miss, and we fall short, and we think, if I just try harder, if I just jump more, if I just do more, I'll get there. And Paul says, no, you were dead. The law couldn't get us there. The law would only point out how far we have to go. You say, what about the sacrifices? I mean, the, bull, the bulls and the goats and all the blood that, that was talked about this morning. Yeah, a lot of blood was shed trying to meet the holy standard of God. But Hebrews 10 says that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. It could only be continually remind us of how far we had to go. There was only one antidote for our grave condition. You see, we needed a Messiah to save us. And so Jesus is the divine remedy. He is is the point in which God bridges the gap between us and himself, his holy standard, and our inability to meet that holy standard. But it would be like God saying, I'm going to bring this down and put it on in flesh, and I'm going to show you what it means to live out my holiness, and then I'm going to lay it down as the divine remedy for your sin. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 18. The Gospels tell us again and again that Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. He never claimed to be. That Jesus was not just a good man, as the world will say. Now, Jesus was very clear about who he was. John chapter 1, verse 18, if you're following along, no one has ever seen God. The only God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side. But God has made him known. Turn over very quickly now to Acts chapter 3, verse 15. In the the, the sermon, again, Peter and John, 
doing miracles and, and having to answer for who Jesus was and who they're preaching about. In, in one simple synopsis of Acts chapter 3, verse 15, says this. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And see, Jesus is the conjunctive phrase, but God, in the flesh. And, and Romans 5, 8, as I alluded to before, says it so beautifully. But God, while we were still sinners, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's a savior like no other. He laid down his life so that he might make us alive. At John 14, 6, Jesus famously said, I am the way. Of course, we understand the way, the, the, the way to God, the only way he would later say. He said, I am the truth in a world that says, what is truth? Who can live by truth? Who can know truth? In a world that today says there is no absolute truth to which you should always reply, are you sure? But he says, not just the way, not just the truth, but the life. John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it in abundance. So when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, speaking on the resurrection, he said, for as in Adam all die. You see, all of us, by virtue of being of the human race, of Adam's race, are due only one thing, and that is death, because of the sin that happened at the very beginning. But there's a difference. There's a different one. In Christ, all will be made alive. Now, he's not speaking that the entire world will be saved because of Christ believing or not. He's saying those of us in Christ will be made alive. Just as he said he came to do, as he indeed was, through Jesus, we can be transformed. You see, Jesus isn't just the divine remedy. Jesus took God's justice that he might give us God's Grace. I know we live in a world that increasingly talks about what's fair. And that starts not in the headlines, but it starts with our very own children. That's not fair. All right, children, if we want to talk about fair, let's uh, let me take out the mortgage payment here. Divide that four ways. and They live in grace. They live in undeserved favor. And they worry about what's fair. Now, it's easy to pick on my children, but we all do the same thing. We, we have been blessed by grace. God has poured it into our lives, and we're worried about what we didn't get. We're worried about who didn't give us what. We're worried about the way that person didn't, they, they just think they're better than us. They're worried about what happens to our kids. We're worried about this, what they didn't get invited to. We're worried about all these things. And God says, cut it out. If you want to talk about fair, let's talk about fair. Fair was Jesus taking your sin on the cross. Let's talk about fair. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. This is last week, Greg Sandlin, my favorite Northsider. He puts a little envelope in my uh, box outside my office. And I am so thrilled to see that envelope. It's my paycheck. Now, now, 
I appreciate that Greg gives it to me. And I appreciate that the elders have allotted that amount. But you understand if I just decided, eh, I don't really, I don't really feel like preaching. Eh, I don't really feel like doing weddings and funerals. I just want somebody else to do that. At some point they're going to say, hey, wait a second. Don't we pay you to do something here? Hmm. You see, wages are something that you earn. Now, sometimes we get to the mistake of thinking that grace is like our wages. Now, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. You want your wages? You want your pay stub from God? (laughs) I don't think you do. He says, the wages of sin is death. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, he gave you a gift, something you didn't earn, something you don't deserve, something you could never live up to. God, thank God, he does not give us what we deserve. And the next time someone says to you, that's not fair, you say, praise God that he's not fair. Because that's what grace is all about. Grace is a gift That is due not to our goodness, but to his. So may we not forget that grace is a gift given to us by the the justice that Jesus took. When you think about it, Jesus really is our last best hope. The Old Testament law, going back to the money illustration, is full of of a bill of holiness and righteousness that you and I cannot pay by ourselves. It is impossible. And, in fact, sin spiritually sort of bankrupts us. It keeps us from where God wants us to be. But God, because of what Jesus did, not only pays the debt, but he makes us immeasurably rich. You have been saved because of grace. He is not only our best hope. Jesus is our only hope. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. If you're turning there or following along in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. It says in part. Now this is a there's much more here than I can get to today. But he says if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. here talking about Jesus. There no longer remains A sacrifice for sins. You understand what he's saying there? Jesus is the last chance. I mean, they tried following the rules. They they tried with the sacrifices. None of that would get there. Only Jesus is the only way. And if you pay attention to what Jesus has done for you on the cross, and you say, that Christianity stuff isn't for me. The Hebrew writer says, that's it. What more can God do that he hasn't already done? It's impossible. There's no other sacrifice that remains. Two words changed the stories of the people here and the stories of the people in here. Two words, and they are this, but God. It's God's holy conjunction. You may be dead in sin, but we serve a God who raises the dead. You may be going the wrong way, but God has given us the way. 
You may be following the wrong spirit, but if you'll let him, God can fill you with his spirit. You may be living only for yourself, but God will let you live for him. You see, those two words, but God, are so transformative. So this morning, I want to invite you to unbox God and let him take control and let him rule your life. But there's one final question, and that is this. Will you accept the gift? You can do that right now. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, as the Hebrew writer says, there's no sacrifice for sins left. I mean, Jesus is it. But if you have made that decision, but you find yourself cold, growing lukewarm in your faith towards him, maybe you need to change and repent. Maybe you need to turn back to the Lord. Maybe you need to let God out of the box. God is very clear that Jesus is the only way. And it's only by his grace. It's nothing by which you can earn. May we accept the free gift of grace, and may we live it out. This morning, if you have a need, if you don't know Christ, or you need to return back to Christ, I want to invite you this morning. I realize you're putting yourself away, and we got to the end of the outline, and the end of that stuff, but I just want to speak to you this morning. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no other way. There is no other truth but his truth, and there is no other way to have life but in him. If you have a need this morning, I hope that you'll come. I hope that you'll respond to the gospel invitation, whatever your need might be. Please come as together we stand and sing.